0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.
1: Today we'll talk about parenting, um, parenting questions, and um, this is kind of a series on more one anothering, what it's called in the scriptures, one anothering, where we're trying to think about in our lives, how do we care for others around us, and um and the first kind of class was just on one-anothering in general, and then we've gone through specific things. So this is kind of one-anothering those who have parenting questions. And so we can do both, like people may have parenting questions and we can address that, or you may, like last week, some people asked specific questions about one-anothering other people with the issue we talked about, which was marriage. What I'm going to do is, I if you've got the handout, there's a couple kind of big themes That I'll cover, and what I'd love to do this week, because last week it's just, it's so much to teach a lot of content and then try to do questions because you're thinking about the content. So I'm gonna do a little content pause, we'll do questions, then I'll go back into some content and do questions, okay? So um, the first way I wanna start is thinking about this way. In whatever way family dynamics contribute to problems with children, there's a good chance they will stem from these three issues. So let me say this: Not all your problems stem from the family dynamics. Okay? Children develop problems that are can be separate from the family dynamics, or the family dynamics may contribute to it a little bit, but not be the overriding reason. Does that make sense? And so there's there's a, a nu- numerous reasons why a child may develop issues. Uh, not all of them are due to fi- due to family dynamics. When they are. I think there's three things that significantly contribute to it. Or if a child develops an issue that is influenced by family dynamics, maybe not caused by that, but influenced, I think these three things contribute to it. And the first thing I'm going to start with is triangulation. And I have a little diagram. You'll see the triangle. okay? But I want you to think the triangle represents kind of the felt experience of togetherness. okay? So this couple starting down here, feels very together, okay? This couple doesn't feel very together. It doesn't mean that they're not together, they're married, they're together, it's how they experience the relationship. And this this is a couple starting out, and I would say any couple starting out, now I don't mean like during engagement in the honeymoon, I mean after you get in there a little bit, if you feel super together, I think you're being a little naive. That's just my view of marriage, okay? I just think what marriage does, the light of marriage exposes things in us, and I talked about this last week, that we often haven't seen. And so some tension develops initially. And if you're feeling super together with no issues to kind of look at and kind of submit to the Lord and be willing to change, then I I certainly couldn't help you much. And I think marriage, in and of itself, will teach you some things. But anyway, this is their felt experience of togetherness. They feel very together. This couple... They're together, but they recognize that there's some distance, some work they have to do to become more together. Okay? And let's just suggest we'll have a little fun that this couple, the wife grew up in a very feminine family, had three sisters, and everything was pink. All right? And he grew up in a masculine family with all brothers, and everything was blue and football. Okay? Over. All right? And so as they start, and let's say their oldest child is a son, and as they start navigating marriage together, like let's say the baby's two years old and the husband wants to go take a run, and he wants to take a run with the jogger, and the wife's like, no, you can't take our son jogging because there's cars out there, okay? And he doesn't argue, and he doesn't say anything, and he just kind of sinks down. And then let's say like riding a bike, she wants him to have helmets and knee pads and the whole nine yards. Like she's always overprotecting and he's always wanting to go the other direction because they just came from different places. But they're not dealing with this tension. And sooner or later, the child will feel caught a little bit because every time he puffs up and feels like a little young man, the dad's proud and encourages it. And every time he takes chances and maybe experiences some difficulty the wife overprotects what happens now is the child is caught in between the parents where in, in many ways the mom is teaching the son how to be a man different than dad thinks and dad's teaching the son how to be a man different than mom thinks and he's really caught in between them that's called triangulation okay What you would want is to understand that there is some tension or difference in the relationship and slowly you're working it through. So that first conversation where there's tension, maybe they don't recognize it, or the third or fourth or fifth. But at some point, they begin to recognize some of the distance between them and some of what they brought into marriage that they have to leave. And slowly they leave that. And because of that, they grow softer and more together and become a better team as they parent. Does that make a little bit of sense? So let me... Pause there. Any any questions on triangulation? Or how that influences family? Or parenting questions in general with that? I think there's some triangulation through the life of a marriage. All right? I would say this. I'm really glad when my kids were younger that my wife and I disagreed with some consistency about our different philosophies. I can remember. <laughs> The first year we lived on these places on Montclair Road, and there was a little um, downslope towards Montclair Road driving out, right? I mean, it was probably about 40 feet long. And uh, it snowed out, and I wanted to take our, our, like, two-year-old daughter, and, like, I wanted to be on the sled and hold her and go down, and my wife was having none of it. It was almost like we had a little bit of a wrestling match in the snow, okay? (laughs) That's where some of that tension started out. But I'm glad that we had that tension then because we recognized a lot of our differences and began to have to work through them, so much so that as our girls were teenagers, it was almost like I felt my I was there with my wife whenever she was with the kids, or she felt she was there with me whenever I was with the kids because we had talked through enough things. More importantly, we were a lot more of a team as the kids became adolescents and we had to decide things like drinking and driving and dating and all that kind of stuff and it was so much better that at that point we were a little bit more of a team and oftentimes like if we had to discipline we were so aware that we had different approaches that we often just picked something in the middle like what do you think it should be what do you, I think it should be and we and really the, most most the conversations we had while the girls were teenagers we had all girls and in general this is it over generalization I have found the same-sex parent tends to be a little bit harder on the child of their sex, in general, okay? And so my wife was a lot harder on our girls through the teenage years, and I was a lot easier. So every conversation where they were teenagers in tension, my wife was pretty much saying, you need to step up and be a little bit more involved, and I was saying, you need to let go and relax a little bit more. And as they were teenagers, we kind of listened to each other, and we didn't fight that much. We didn't say, you know, I know you're really right, and you're pointing out a blind spot, but we did go, we did walk away and do a little better. And, and and we were just much more of a team because I think we had dealt with some of this. All right. Any questions or thoughts on that? Anybody? All right. The, the other two things I have there kind of can grow out of that triangulation. I think in general, where a husband is listening to his wife and learning from his wife, I think she actually, he actually becomes more involved with the kids. You'll notice in the Scriptures, there's only three imperative commands to husband, or to moms and dads and children. There's only three things in the New Testament you're told to do or not to do. I have two of them under fathers. One of them is children, obey your parents. The other two I have are fathers. I have there, uh, fathers, don't aggravate your children. If they do, they will become discouraged and quit trying. And now a word to you fathers, don't make your children angry by the way you treat them. And then to children, it simply says, children, obey your parents. So let me summarize for you your New Testament advice on parenting. That's not a lot of advice, but it's some, okay? It says, Dad, your tendency is not to be aware of how much impact you will have on your children. And you tend not to be as thoughtful as you need to be about your relationship with your children. Be willing to be more thoughtful, and I would add, be willing to learn from your wife some, okay? Even though you will think she worries too much about the kids and thinks too much about the kids, all right? And that's why, like it says nothing to wives, so I say the New Testament advice to moms is, moms, you are going to be already too worried about having kids. Like, relax. Try to let it go. All right. And to kids, it says, you've got two big people who really care about you. Try to listen to them. Try to follow them. Try to obey them. Okay. So dads tend to be relationally passive. All right? and, and that doesn't mean some dads will be very involved with their kids. They will do things with their kids, but they're not relationally engaged. Okay, helping them with issues of their heart. Dads tend to connect a lot through doing, which is a really good way to connect. And they don't need to be as relationally involved often as moms. They just need to be willing to be more relationally involved. Okay, And then moms, in general, like the way I say it, tend to be a little bit like safety Nazis and worry about too much stuff. And so oftentimes they need to learn to let go a little bit. All right? I have a passage under moms there from... First Timothy, and it says this, that but women will be saved through childbearing and by continuing to live in faith, love, holiness and modesty. That's a reference to the curse in Genesis where it says after Adam and Eve sinned and Eve was cursed. And God said um, to Eve, uh, there'll be pain in bringing forth children. Your desire will be for your husband who will over you. He took the two most important relationships a woman could have and said there'll be pain in those relationships. There's literal pain in childbearing, but relationally, a woman tends to endure more pain in the parent-child relationship. I think I even said this last week, but women can't compartmentalize in general, so they tend to like they tend to bond with kids right away where as a dad is more active, they tend to start bonding. But like when we went to middle school because my wife wife can't compartmentalize, I think she went Our first back to school night for our oldest in middle school. I think my wife went through her three years of middle school that night. I think she went through all three daughters' years of middle school that night. And she just started sinking down. She went through like twelve years of middle school and was sinking down. And like I looked at her at the end of the night and I was like, this was so much fun. Like I was meeting people, I met some of the teachers, saw some of our friends, like this was great. And she did not feel that way. And then I realized what was going on and kind of put my arms around her and said, Hun Like, I do think Jesus can be bigger than this middle school, all right? But that's where women tend to get too over-involved, too over-protective, and dads tend to get too distant. So the way I like to picture it is dads are often doing this, moving outside the family, and moms are doing this, and you're trying to come together so the kids kind of revolve around you. Does that make sense? So I think when issues develop out of the family dynamics, they tend to develop over those three things, the triangulation and then how it impacts uh, moms and dads, all right? All right. Any questions on that? Anybody? No questions today? Yeah. Yeah, sure. It's it's
2: adjacent to this, and I think those are good visual images. Um, Jane had a a lady uh, right out of college, before we were engaged, use this right hand triangle here. And what she did was talk about, uh, in the context of marriage, she put God at the top of the Mm -hmm. triangle. Mm And essentially, the the netting out of that is Mm that as you grow as a couple together, Mm -hmm if each of you individually will focus on God, then mm-hmm. what happens is, while all this other information is good advice mm-hmm. and, and good techniques and good mm-hmm. practice, mm-hmm. focusing on individually on God mm-hmm. drives home our own sinfulness and our mm-hmm. need
1: for him. Yeah. So
2: that does the real heart, spiritual work individually, yes. which is an underpinning for this triangulation. Yeah. yeah. And the second thing is, is kind of the reverse of the one on the left, and that is that the parents together and children knowing they're together and knowing that that relationship is primary Mm -hmm. somehow really seems to protect the kids Mm -hmm.
1: uh, throughout Mm -hmm. all that.
2: So we used to say, you know, we were here first, Mm
1: -hmm. you joined us, you were were interlopers, you will
2: leave us mere financial and physical shells of ourselves and we're still here together. Right, (laughs) right, right. That's the primacy of the the relationship here. yeah.
1: And it's and really... We, I think we we our them, it was, no. <laughs> <I, I, but, laughs> it we yeah. damage them somewhat, yeah. I'm sure. Yes, right? yes, <laughs> yeah. No, they're, both of those big principles, like kind of seeking the Lord individually. Like I say, you would never climb a big mountain without a guide, And ma- marriage is like climbing a mountain, and you really need someone's help. And oftentimes, it's the pain of some of the differences in your spouse that helps you need the Lord, and then you're you're growing closer. And then I, no child was meant to have his parents revolve around them. And I would I would say to me the the, um, the narrow road in scripture, oftentimes it's taught like it's the punish yourself and work hard road. I think the narrow road in scripture is you're always judging between two extremes and trying by faith to walk in between that. We can make a, a child the center of the family, and that's sinful. And we cannot sacrifice for our children, and that's sinful. Like, I felt like I tried totally to help our children realize that there was somebody much bigger than them, not even their mom and dad, but the Lord, that they had to learn to kind of worship and submit their life to. By the same token, there were plenty of times in my own selfishness that I just wanted to get out of here and not give to you all. So I think you have to walk through that tension. There has to be at times where you're really communicating to them Mom and dad were here before you and and the world isn't about you, where at times you're pushing in to sacrifice for them because that's the way you love. So it it can be both extremes, but that's a definite thing we want to be aiming for. All right. Anybody else? Any good reflection? All right. Let's move down then a little bit. These are just common issues that I see facing families today, okay? And... uh, This is from an NPR book. Uh, it's, It's very thoughtful. It's not believing, not simple, not super deep, but it's a thoughtful book. And the title of it is Affluenza. And this was before, there was some affluenza kid that was popular in the news that made that term more popular, but they came up with it before that. And here's their definition. A painful, contagious, socially transmitted condition of overload, debt, anxiety, and waste resulting from the dogged pursuit of more. Guys, fundamentally, I think how we grow into thinking we have to have more, do more, be more, and our culture really reinforces that. The busiest family is the best family. I think the way we fundamentally grow into that is not believing that it was all done at the cross. All right. In Hebrews, it talks about a Sabbath rest. I I personally believe the whole Old Testament law was done away with. I don't think you have to physically... Rest as much as possible on Sunday. I think that's super wise. Okay, But I think what Hebrews teaches is that we can grow into a 24-7 rest. And that rest is in Christ. What was going on in that church was they were Jewish believers who had become Christians. And they found themselves still sinning. And they thought, we've got to put the law on top of Jesus and then that will make us more perfect. And what that writer says is, no, no. You now have a gracious high priest that you can run to in time of need. You can go boldly to the throne of grace. Now you don't have to do all this work to be forgiven of your sins. You can simply move toward Him in relationship and experience forgiveness. And that's where it says, there's a refrain in Hebrews, a common refrain, today if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. I think a lot of times when we're in shame or condemnation and the gospel is moving towards us, we push it away instead of welcoming it and letting it offend our desire to achieve our righteousness. That is 24-7 rest, where we're growing up into Christ. The more and more we're growing up into that rest, the better parents you will be. All right. Listen, I, what I love about Christian parents is they really care about parenting their children. You know what I don't like about Christian parents? They care too much about parenting their children. And please hear me, I, there's been nothing more important than raising my girls. But I believe you that the, I think the single most important thing my wife and I did in raising them was believing it wasn't on our shoulders. That in our best day, we were going to fall really sh- fall short of being a good parent. And we fell short regularly, but that didn't push us away in, sh- in shame or condemnation because Jesus was holding us so we were able to stay with them when they were struggling and not make it about us. Oftentimes when your kids are struggling, it becomes about you because that guilt pulls you away from them. All right? I think this is the fundamental thing that feeds into our busyness in this culture. Living in an over-the-mountain community, you're going to be busier than you want to be. That's just a reality. We had to keep fighting to slow down, all right? Because I think relationship doesn't happen in sound bites. The more you're really present to your children and holding them and caring about them, the more they attach to you, the more they will be softened and open to the gospel. The more you're worried and burdened about that responsibility, the more you're pushing them away, okay? So and 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 I think it's a real issue. Like I can remember, I'll give you one last example and then pause. We homeschooled till our oldest was in fifth grade. We sent all of them to public school the same year: fifth, third, and first grade. All right. And a year later, my daughter was thinking she wanted to play a sport, maybe through middle school and high school. So she ran cross country and played basketball. All right. And our our kind of ground rule was you could do one thing a year. And other than that, you had studies and like the amount of schoolwork they put on kids, it's just hard to have rest, all right? And so I can remember sitting up and if she was in this book club and the girls in her book club had done, were all, most of them did basketball and they were all gonna do soccer. And I can remember sitting with the other parents watching a basketball game and they were aghast that Amy was not gonna play soccer. She has to play soccer. And I was like, no, she really doesn't have to play soccer. She's done two things already. She's not. But that tends to be the energy in our culture today. And I think I think the greatest enemy to building gospel families practically is the busyness of our culture. Alright? Alright. Any thoughts or questions on that? Anybody? Yeah. I totally understand what you're saying. I feel that pressure uh-huh. in my life so much right now. We've talked a lot about it, but I feel like so much of it is fear motivated. Mm-hmm. But I also for me, I feel
0: like it's contagious. Like mm-hmm. I would like to think what I'm doing for that, but yeah. that's ridiculous. Yeah, I'm so susceptible to it. And I, when I, sometimes I walk out of my
1: house and just feel like that. Yeah, like someone find me with fear. Right. You know. You better get busy or yeah, 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 yeah.
0: yeah. I, yeah. I have such a hard time knowing how to diffuse that. Yeah. It's contagious. To, it, I catch it from my community and
1: I mm-hmm. then I totally bring it home. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. Yeah, Well, I, I would say this. Um, I don't think you can totally diffuse it. I think the fact that you're opening, open to it and making progress, the more we're open to something we're struggling with, we're honest, we can talk about it, we can name it, the more we're inviting the Spirit to come in and help our families where we lack. You cannot be perfect. If you're open to it and you're growing in it, I believe the Spirit is helping and you will continue to grow in it. Okay? What a lot of the tension of parenting did to me, if, if I was going to be candid, was I was just way too angry and way too frustrated as a dad. Okay? And so I'm working on a project with my four-year-old and I get so frustrated, I kick the door and leave a scuff mark there. Okay? For whatever reason, we didn't remove that scuff mark. And every time my daughter walked by it, I think she felt like, Dad, he's a mean man. It was a couple years later, we were packing the van to go visit my family in New Jersey. She's helping me, and she says, Dad, are you going to ruin this trip too? And I was like, oh, sweetie, I didn't even know I was getting uptight. I said, um, thanks for saying something. I think it will help. I just don't know how much. And I said, you have my permission. <laughs> you have my permission to say something again, all right? And eight hours later in Virginia, she said, hey, Dad, you remember how Like, I have permission? Well, now's the time, okay? All right. That same daughter, at 16, so it was about four, 12 years later after the scuff mark incident, we're in a new house, and she says, "Dad, there's no scuff mark in this house. You're really a different man." And for her 21st birthday, Mo, her, she was 21, and on my birthday that year, she was out of the country. We FaceTime, and she put a picture on FaceTime, and it said, "Happy birthday to my everyday father, counselor, and friend." Okay, we continue to grow. The gospel continued to work. So, what was painful memories became part of a better story because of the gospel, not because of her dad. So, in whatever ways maybe some of that anxiety hurts your children, if you're open, you're naming it, you're walking, Jesus' work, he'll continue to work, and it can become part of a much better story. But there's no way to do families perfect, okay? And I, I mean, when I teach, and like even the commands to husbands and wives and the ones to dads, like, Any of the biblical commands, none of us are going to do perfectly. They are the hardest things to do, and they are reminders to keep walking with God and depending on Him so He can grow you into more of that. Like it says, keep treating your wife with understanding as you live together. Continue in action thing. At 29 years, I don't have that down. I'm still learning what it means to treat my wife with understanding. But I'm open. We can name it. We can talk about it. There's a lot more Holy Spirit in our family that helps us navigate some of that pain. So, yeah.
0: Two things: one of reflection and one of question. Um, one of the things that I have found um, works twofold in uniting my heart to my husband's and communicating that to our children is to speak positively mm-hmm. about their daddy when he's not with us. Mm-hmm. Um, to say, "Isn't daddy great?" or "Do you mm-hmm. remember when daddy did this?" and I know he does the same with me. And it, um, or to you know, reflect on. You know, I hurt daddy's feelings, but mm-hmm. then I told him I was sorry. And, mm-hmm. and, and that just opens a dialogue um, with our children to remind them that the truth of our family is that mommy and daddy are a unit, and, mm-hmm. and nothing will, will mm-hmm. you know, take that away. Um, the second thing, and we are beginning to, our oldest is in second grade, and we're beginning to live out the choosing to not do all the things. Mm-hmm. What do you say to your children in the knowing that what I'm doing for them, what we're doing for them is right in the short term, but it sure doesn't feel great to them in yeah. the long term?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So, what do you say to your child when they feel left out, or okay. you know, it wasn't even a, a question that we were going to yeah. do summer baseball,
1: or okay. you know, whatever yeah. the thing is? Yeah. I would say this first of all, I would say there has to be places where. Even at young ages, your children may expose things you're doing wrong and you change your mind, okay? However, there'll be plenty of the other where you're not changing your mind, and they don't like it. And I would, I would actually say this really, really strongly. If you can't let your kids suffer without trying to help them understand it and feel like it's good, you really won't help them get to know the Lord as deeply as you want. So you have to be willing to let them go through pain that you don't explain. You feel it with them, you hurt with them, but you don't take that pain away. And you want to do it at age appropriate levels so they're learning as they grow up more and more. I I personally am not trying, I didn't try to raise my daughters to be independent, I tried to raise them to be interdependent. They're in a fallen world where they're always going to need more outside themselves. And we weren't a perfect family and they weren't perfect kids, so we had to teach them how to live in a fallen world where pain will happen and they have to look outside themselves for help with that. So I think the more and more where it's appropriate, you can let them suffer and have difficulty without solving it for them. And please, at younger ages, don't tell them Jesus is going to make it all right. You believe that for them. All right? This is my youngest, and uh, it's Christmas, and her two older sisters got American Girl dolls, and she got a bitty baby, okay, from her mother-in-law, because her mother-in-law had the money to get them those things, okay? And a couple days after Christmas, she was really sad, and I just figured, you know, there's a little couple more accessories with the American Girl dolls, and her sisters were, you know, playing with them, and I was figuring she was left out, so I asked her what was the matter, and was it because she got the bitty baby and not the American Girl dolls? And she said, no, my sisters are just mean to me. And so we talk about that, and I lament with her and feel her. I I bring in her older two sisters, and I talk to them about that and how essentially what I was saying to them, you would really be preaching the gospel if you were caring about the weakest among you. I didn't say it that way, but I tried to help them get that message. And they left, and my youngest said, Dad, that's not going to help. And I said, sweetie, in some ways it's probably not going to help. And y'all, she's 20 now, and we've talked about some of the ways she was left out. And hurt, and she's talked to her sisters about that, and we're believing Jesus to heal and restore in those areas, okay? But she was about five or four, I don't even remember. And so I start talking to her after she says that's not going to help, and I think this is a great opportunity for her to realize there's nothing really that's going to help long range in this world other than the Lord and Him holding you and comforting. So I start going that direction, and she starts crying, and and I think, wow, I'm a counselor, I'm hitting home, tears, right? (laughs) And and she says, do you mean I got to love? Jesus more than you and mommy? And I said, no, sweetie, would you just forget what I said? <laughs> because I, I didn't want her to hurt and I wanted to take it away instead of trusting that the Lord was going to set all things right so I didn't have to in that moment. Okay? So I hope that helps. All right. Anybody else in that vein? Or we'll talk about another. Yeah? I just about business. You know, we talk about business
0: all the time. When you talk about guilt in relationship with our kids' driving today, sometimes, Yeah. Make the right things and the great mom, and yeah. aging and
1: spirituality and It's Yeah. Physical practice I would do you know. Yeah. And yeah. I don't say that guilt because yeah. I not charge sure you about that. Yeah. It. And it's, it's hard for me personally to fight against that because it's hard for me. Well, I, I don't I don't think I think that part of what you said was just wisdom there, okay? I mean, there's a million different directions I can go on this. Here's here's what how I think about. it. First of all, the the stay-at-home mom and the dad who works 80 hours a week is not a result of the Bible. It's a result of the Industrial Revolution. Okay? Prior to 1880, there was not a word in the English language for family. The word was familia. And familia was 300 people. It was extended family and relatives and servants, okay? So it's pretty rare, prior to the Industrial Revolution, that a mom was at home with her kids, carrying some of the weight you're carrying. Y'all, when Jesus' parents didn't realize he wasn't there for a couple of days, you know why? Or whatever. Because that was normal. That was normal in that culture. All right, A mom in our culture carries way too much. In general, in the South, there's still a lot of stay-at-home moms. Even, even the families I work with where both parents work, a mom tends to, because what I was saying earlier, care about the relationship. She tends to carry more weight. And that's not enough shared. So I think you need good... T-ball coaches and youth leaders and things that really are helping you carry that weight. And that in some ways, that's helping you deal with condemnation, not guilt. Like you have too much guilt, which is really just condemnation, which some of that needs to be pushed away while you're like celebrating that he's a T-ball or something. Okay, (laughs) So I, I want you to have good resources that help you. And we specifically, as our girls grew, we also wanted them to have adults that they trusted outside of us that we knew who they were talking to and we were working with we cannot do it alone so uh, anybody else we can all right let's shift down we'll talk about the next thing and maybe there'll be some more questions okay not letting the normal weight of life be formative okay um, i have first peter four there so then since christ suffered physical pain you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too If you're willing to suffer for Christ, you've decided to stop sinning and you won't spend the rest of your life chasing after evil desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. What I want you to see there, just a willingness to suffer forms you. A willingness to suffer forms you. Does that make sense? A resistance to suffering. Uh, We can have it all together and have no needs and not hurt. The American way is opposed. That, That forms you in the flesh, not in Christ. All right? And then it says this, The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them on ahead in pairs to all the towns and villages He planned to visit. Go now and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take along any money or a traveler's bag or even an extra pair of sandals. What I want you to see there is just that Jesus let His disciples be challenged. Okay, I think in our culture, it's such a fear-based culture in parenting, that we don't let our children suffer some of the things they need to suffer to be formed in the gospel. This may or may not be a good example, okay? But like a, a good girl, all my girls wanted a best friend. And I was like, I think a best friend is a, an illusion. I think no friend can meet all your needs. I think each of you have two or three four friends that meet different needs of yours. That's a best friend woven together. And we let them suffer and feel some aloneness at an age-appropriate level. I think one of the greatest ways, especially a, a young girl or a woman will grow, is being taught how to endure some periods of loneliness without beating yourself up or blaming someone else. So we let our daughters feel some of the loneliness that's just a reality in this fallen world, and cared for them and didn't back away, felt that with them, but also helped them make sense of that. And say, really, like I would say above all your friends and your teachers and your parents, all the relationships you have in your life, there's the Lord using all those relationships to draw you to himself. And that's what we are trying to teach them, that you can't have an idol. This world teaches you if you have that best friend, then you don't need the Lord, essentially. Okay? So if that's a picture where maybe we let our girls suffer some at age-appropriate ways to help them be formed differently in the gospel. Okay? All right. Any questions or thoughts on that, anybody? I think that's a hard one. It's hard to watch your kids suffer.
0: What does that look like practically with a daughter? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. just the way that you're speaking about feeling that loneliness without projecting that, you know, on it's her fault because she left me out or or because
1: I I am this? yeah.
0: The
1: way that you're speaking the gospel. Without. Yeah. Well, I would, I mean, it, it would be hard in a couple minutes. And I, and right. but who you are as a mom and who your daughter is influences how you're going to do that. But I would say what I would try to encourage you is to try not to be afraid of what's true. Like where you were saying, sometimes a child's hurt by another child who is kind of mean, and you know that. It's okay to affirm that. And don't think you're teaching your child to not be good and southern and nice, okay? You're just really teaching her the truth, right? And so I think just kind of meeting them and trying to help them navigate through what's true and not be afraid of that. There's just moments where you're going to be shepherding them that you just want to take that pain away and you're helping them kind of walk through it. There it would there'd be other ways to talk about that. Like one that was coming to mind as I was talking was... You know, birthday parties, especially when you're younger, are just way too big a deal. Okay, We did our first one or two big birthday parties, and then we thought, we remember doing musical chairs, and that was a lot of fun. So we kind of went back there, and we thought, if you get together like 10, 8-year-olds, they're going to have fun. They're going to have fun. like this. But anyway, oftentimes, because we cause we'd have our other two girls, and they were close in age, like when we went to pick up our daughter, they'd be like, here, we have to give them a goodie bag. And we're like, no, they really don't have to have a goodie bag like just Amy can have a goodie bag that's fine and like we wouldn't make a big deal of that but there's just ways to let them feel the pain of this world and help them walk through that all right anybody else um, we've got a couple minutes the other let's see i had two others um, i'm going to i'll talk about d let's just say this when it says Raise a child in the way he should go. I have that proverb there. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. Underneath, I have a quote from Dan Allen. and He says this. The proverb invites us to teach our children according to each one's unique bent, their natural inclination and learning style. And if we work in concert with our children's uniqueness, they won't depart from their God-given bent, even as they age. If we were working with wood to fashion a bow for hunting, we would bend the wood in a way that it is formed rather than try to refashion refashion it by bending it in the opposite direction. So let me give you an illustration of this, okay? What I'm trying to say is one size doesn't fit all, and what you want, you want to raise your kids in justice, not fairness. Fairness is everyone gets the same thing, they really don't want that, I promise you, okay? So justice is they're all different, and at times you have to apply different words and methods. So our firstborn was a typical firstborn, really hard on herself, Achieve, Achiever-driven. She prayed when she was three, Jesus, help Daddy to spank me. I want to obey. Okay? <laughs> At about four, my wife and I were also ha- were having a little bit of a discussion, and she said, Daddy, Mommy's not a child. Don't talk to her like that. Okay? She saw the truth and wanted to live it really passionately. Okay? I kept telling her her whole life, you need to, you're too hard on yourself. You need some grace. She fought me all the way through. It's her junior year and it's finals week. All right. And I walk into her room at midnight and I say, sweetie, I just want to come and say good night. And she said, Dad, I could study another hour and I think I would definitely get an A, but I think I'm going to get an A anyway. What do you think I should do? And I said, sweetie, I think you should go to bed. It was the first time I remember her saying, OK, Dad, where she in a moment like that, she didn't say you don't push me hard enough. And then senior year, instead of taking more than one honors course like she had, she just took honors English and had a more relaxed, robust year because she wasn't putting so much pressure on herself. And since then, she's grown forward. Now, I want you to know, I was trying to teach her grace for 18 years before she started really being able to integrate it. What's hard about raising your child according to their bent is it's a bent (laughs) and their strengths and weaknesses to it. And you have to be willing to keep working with them and see are they moving in the right direction and can they be where we want them to be in general by the time they're 18 with some awareness of who they are. But each child has to learn how the gospel speaks to them and take ownership of it for them. That will help them to walk in it. Okay. And I promise you, we taught our other two things very different than our firstborn because they were that different. All right. Any questions on that, anybody? All right. Sure. Any? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let me say this. When I say, if I say. Discipline, And I say, what's the first word that comes to your mind? Most people will say punishment, okay, because of the rod. The rod was used to swat sheep. It was used to protect sheep. It was used to lead sheep to water. It was used to help uh, them find green pastures. Like the rod was a symbol that the shepherd was responsible for the sheep. So I say to parents, put on a coach's whistle, all right? Our word discipline really is like training. You're trying to get them ready. That's what I meant about trying to teach them according to their bent. Discipline isn't to get them to make a good choice right in the moment every time. It's more to teach them who they are and lead them towards becoming restful and confident in that. Okay. So discipline, I say, remember discipline is to drive out foolishness. It's not to produce some type of behavior. Foolishness is self-reliance. If all you do is punish, punish, punish your children, they won't trust you. But if you have no strength, if you can't let them suffer, if you don't apply some pain at times, they will not follow you. So there's this tension between grace and truth, attachment and leadership. You need both, but that's training. You're more the coach getting them ready for something than a parent with a thing who's going to swat them every time they go out of line. But there has to be forward-looking in how you're raising your kids. Parents are way too over-focused on the moment. When our... Um, middle was three. All she wanted for her birthday was a two-piece bathing suit. And that's all she kept talking about. So much so that her next door neighbor, who knew we weren't getting her that, gave her her old two-piece bathing suit and wrapped it up for her. And it was my daughter's favorite gift on that day. And all I could think of was like premarital sex and prostitution. And and like my wife was like talking me off a mountain. Like it's just, you know, we let her wear it to the thing and like she never if we had like clamped in and hadn't been forward looking it would have been a huge mess so i hope that helps (laughs) she wore it yes and then like they had tankinis and stuff and then she had one pieces like it never became a big deal after that partly because i think we just welcomed where she was at in that moment and didn't freak out about it so yeah all right let me let me pray for us let me pray lord i thank you um just for your great kindness to us Um, I pray especially for those who are parents and with children that they're really still actively raising. Father, we just ask that grace and truth would hold them in a fresh way this morning. Lord, and that they would approach that with a little more rest, trusting that you have and hold their children way more than they ever could. Lord, help them believe that a little bit more today and then live out of that. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.